Bob Dylan is a seeker, a seer, even a prophet, who changed and still changes the times, perceptions, and the very purpose of how we live. This is Stephen Daniel Arnoff. I'm the host and creator of Bob Dylan, about man and God and law, the podcast, and also author of the book about man and God and law, The Spiritual Wisdom of Bob Dylan. And this book is about Dylan's voice, his purpose as the most insightful and provocative spiritual figure in the history of popular music. Theme by theme, listening closely to upwards of 50 of his songs and by placing Dylan in the flow of culture and religion from the past 500 years. I don't know of another book like this about Bob Dylan or any other pop figure, and that's why I wrote it. About Man and God and Law has been called a journey and enchantment, soulful, a revelation, and a must-have by early reviewers. I thank them for that. And I want you to read my book, too. It's available as an ebook beginning December 7th, 2021, and in print in bookstores and online everywhere on May 3rd, 2022. You can even pre-order it at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Now, for listeners to this podcast and their pals, if you stop by my website, mangodlaw.com, and sign up, I'll send you a free copy of the ebook. That's right, free and easy. All you got to do is post a review once you've read it. Like it, love it, hate it, just rate it. That's up to you. For a limited time only, come and get it. He not busy reading is busy dying, right? You know that. So visit mangodlaw.com for a free ebook and join the conversation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reading. And now, back to the show. Dylan was, he was a revolutionary, man. The way that, the way that Elvis freed your body, Bob freed your mind. This is Bob Dylan, about man and God and law. February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried When I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside The day the music died. Rock and roll has always had a thing about death. In the late 50s and early 60s, in songs Bob Dylan must have known well, teenagers kept dying in epic rock and roll car crashes. Jan and Dean haunted the highways and byways of kids with enough of the American dream under their seatbelts to afford a car. And it was fun, fun, fun till Daddy took her T-Bird away. Or until Dead Man's Curve took everything away. The draw of death in rock is as important to what makes up its urgency as the sex and drugs part. 
Rock has a Jones for risk and destruction, and great rock music is a matter of life and death. Part of the bona fides of any rock star is paying the price of loneliness, addiction, bad behavior, breakdowns, and broken hearts in order to serve the rock and roll muse at its most profound. Now, Don McLean's American Pie, we know it's kitsch and we really don't care, is one of the most sung-along songs in rock history. It's also part of a litany of songs reflecting back on the myths of America and rock itself, first mapped by Bob Dylan's Desolation Row. You remember Desolation Row. That's Bob Dylan's 1965 epic we listened to very closely in our previous episode. That was episode two, The Art of Memory. If you missed it, we suggest you head back to episode one, Salvation, and then hit episode two, and then rejoin us here for the full Bob Dylan about man and God and law experience. American Pie recontextualizes society's gods and heroes to provide an afterlife to youth and hope, even after events or even death overtake them. Now, without Dylan who claims to have locked eyes with Buddy Holly just hours before the day the music died with him, rock would not have had the ambition or the tools to mythologize itself, let alone to memorialize and mythologize a little thing called America. But once Bob Dylan exploded popular music in the mid-60s, the memory and myth of America became an urgent life-and-death rock and roll obsession. Last episode, we claimed that rock uses the same M.O. as classical bards. From inventory comes invention. It's what you know and how you know it that determines what you create. The traditions you work and rework again and again spawn something new. For example, it's a cardinal ritual of embodied rock and roll memory that Ronnie Van Zandt's hat and an unattended mic stand invite Leonard Skinner fans to prove, in the words of Bob Seger, that rock and roll never forgets. And every busted-out, race-baiting racist who raises a cursed Confederate flag as they sing along to the words and notes of that guitar solo from memory, well, they're sure that they are freebirds flying to salvation in those moments, made anew by living out that song. Even Bob Dylan once heeded the call to play Freebird on stage. But we won't explain that parable here. Think of classic rock stations, too. An endless loop of songs composed decades ago, heard by fans thousands of times, yet somehow people still long for those songs and glean meaning and excitement from the same tunes in order to make sense of their life today. In this episode, we're going to wander with Bob Dylan and a few of his disciples, Paul Simon and John Lennon most notably, into the rock and roll myths of America. We're going to watch and listen as these artists wrestle with America by asking the same questions over and over again. Is America a utopia? Is it a runaway train? Is it a martyr on the cross? A work in progress? A slave's fevered nightmare? Or is America just a nice place to visit in these rock and roll myths? That's what we've come here to hear. 
we note that this conversation about America is being recorded just after the intolerable and intolerant Republican National Convention. While the streets of America are bloody with violence and incitement and hatred, we're also aware that the voices in this episode are predominantly white ones. We hope that we can merit to call all of these voices black allies, that this chorus smells like rock and roll justice, the rock of ages, musical memory and myth that force America to face the right side of history, which is in and of itself a song still being written, and a life and death one at that. I'm Stephen Daniel Arnoff. Strap yourselves into your T-Birds, Try to forget to remember what you wanted to forget. And welcome to episode three of Bob Dylan about man and God and law. Mapping America. I went down to the sacred store where I'd heard the music years before. But the man there said the music wouldn't play. But I'm not one to really say that this one affected this or this song affected that. I really don't know. Once something gets done, it's just um, for whoever wants to pick it up, you know. It's uh, hard to say what really causes anything to happen. I don't know if a song can really do that, but they say it might. I don't know. But we're still going to say that Desolation Row... Like like a Rolling Stone for Bruce Springsteen and Jimi Hendrix, and positively Fourth Street for Joni Mitchell, was a song that launched a thousand rock and roll ships across uncharted waters where the mythologies of sex, love, race, music, and America itself were waiting to be discovered. For Bob Dylan, this journey was no accident. Dylan flat out states in his book Chronicles Volume 2 that he was looking for a core myth of America to serve as the blueprint for his music. In one of the upstairs reading rooms, Dylan writes, describing the New York Public Library not long after he arrived in Manhattan in 1961, I started reading articles in newspapers on microfilm from 1855 to about 1865 to see what daily life was like. I wasn't so much interested in the issues as intrigued by the language and rhetoric of the times. Back there, America was put on the cross, died, and was resurrected. There was nothing symbolic about it. The god-awful truth of that would be the all-encompassing template behind everything I would write. Well, there you have it. In defining the Civil War in the stark religious terms of a nation's crucifixion, death, and resurrection, Dylan claims that he follows only one mythic American star, and that's America's original sin, which is slavery. Joan L. has a habit of changing know what she's gonna do next yeah i remember rehearsing this back in 1965 once i dreamed i saw saint augustine 
The original Greek meaning of the word martyr describes a person who witnesses or testifies to an event or idea. In early Christianity, martyrdom comes to mean sacrificing one's life as an act of testimony. Now, as deep as Dylan's narrator in I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine enters a salvational drama, he still holds a sad complaint. He cannot be a martyr. Augustine taunts the dreamer, tearing through these quarters in utmost misery, the hidden quarters of the dreamer's heart. Dressed in gold, a religious icon animated in real time, Augustine strikes at the gifted kings and queens who, despite all good intentions, cannot attain the ultimate gift of salvation. Not even with a figure of religious greatness in their midst. The dreamer's soul, like all souls, has already been sold. He's a sellout. Bob Dylan is not Abraham Lincoln, nor, as we'll hear later, JFK, and he's also not Joe Hill. The melody for I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine, well, it's a knockoff, too, taken directly from the song Joe Hill, the wobbly hero murdered for the cause of labor justice long before Dylan was born. You can check out Paul Robeson's version of this and Hear all of the tunes from this podcast at mangodlaw.com. Surely, obviously, Dylan, who's claiming here not to be a martyr, was most definitely never a slave. But in Blind Willie McTell, perhaps his most layered and beautiful song about America, which died on the cross, Dylan does his best to tell an American musical mythology about slavery. And within this story, to explain how does it feel to imagine a blind Willie McTelling of an American tale of martyrdom, his dream of St. Augustine leaves unfinished. Here big plantations burning Hear the cracking of the whip Smell that sweet magnolia Recorded during the period of 1983's Infidels, Blind Willie McTell appears publicly a decade later as part of the Bootleg series. It's a soliloquy sung out of a hotel window for a dead blues singer, an ode to the haunting world of exile created by slavery and the Civil War, parsing the disembodied souls and broken stories of, as Dylan sings it, the ghosts of slavery's ships, an artist who claims he has learned his greatest lessons 
from the original sin of slavery, meditates upon it in earnest. He searches for understanding in I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine. Indeed, he waits by a window in this song too, the window of the soul of a keen observer watching history unfold, even if he is removed from it. He also still experiences the divine call of witnessing this time as an arrow on the doorpost rather than the pointing finger song of Augustine. But his understanding of exile is changed. And I dreamed I saw St. Augustine. No one can be a martyr, at least no one that you can call your own. In Blind Willie McTell, Dylan really is a witness. He finds Blind Willie McTell himself where many martyrs fell. While Dylan admits that he himself is deeply flawed because neither he nor anybody else can sing the blues like Blind Willie McTell, he settles for the best he can get, which is to praise the singer to whom he tries to give voice even if he can't live up to the singer and his blues. This is a haunting, unfinished, mythical and musical American Hall of Mirrors for a white singer praising a black one. It's heavy, even heavy-handed, Maybe it's too heavy to release after all. And it's also a lifetime away from the young man who had stood on the same stage as another American martyr. songwriters of the rock and roll era, all of whom learned from, were inspired by, or in some sense used the inventory of Dylan for their own invention, were looking for America amidst the racial and social brokenness both hidden and revealed. All of them drew maps of imagination and myth. All tried to make sense of what they heard in the echoes of MLK's dreams and the horrors of his and so many other martyrs' deaths. Woodstock to California, to this place for Joni Mitchell. Born to Run, to Born in the USA, to The Rising for Bruce Springsteen. We're an American band. That's Grand Funk Railroad and a band called America. American Idiot, Kids in America, Jack and Diane, the infinitely shitty Kid Rock's American badass, all the way to Childish Gambino's fierce This is America and Taylor Swift's last great American dynasty. They all come 
to look for America. A dreamy kid on the bus playing games with the faces. Paul Simon's Exile in London recalled in his blind Willie McTell-like musing in the song The Late Great Johnny Ace gave him the space to produce profound commentary on American myth. A sense of exile is often crucial to an artist finding the means to tell a story about his or her homeland. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and Leonard Cohen all wrote their finest musings on Canada while in California. James Joyce was exiled from Ireland so that he could reimagine it in his fiction and James Baldwin, exiled from America for years, was one of its most eloquent, visceral critics. Dylan, of course, until COVID-19 stopped all touring, has been restless and wandering on the road without much time away from the stage since the 1980s, the so-called never-ending tour. All come to look for America. She said the man in the gallery. In 1975, Simon revisits the theme of America. And I dreamed I was dying. I dreamed that my soul rose. That dreamer is still dreaming. It's often late in the evening or early in the morning in Paul Simon's best songs. But the capstone of American tune is what makes Paul Simon such a creative force. He is a worker who writes and writes and edits and edits and produces at times too perfect work. It may be late for America, he sings on the cusp of its bicentennial, but it's still not too late to get to work, to work it out, to work on it in a song. Come on the ship, they call me flower. We come on the ship that sailed the moon. Come in the ages, most uncertain hours, and sing an American tune. Music is Simon's refuge from America's broken dreams. Like in his song Jonah, Paul Simon isn't swallowed by a whale. No, in the American chaos, he's swallowed by a song. And sleep, sleep, which protected Jonah, at least temporarily, will protect him until he gets back to work. Paul Simon is no martyr. He's tucked in tight, protected by his music and his muse. very different New Yorker, John Lennon, turned all of these narratives upside down in the brilliantly impatient and cantankerous way that Lennon knew how to disrupt almost anything. But before we see Lennon's American myth through his distinctive round-eyed glasses, let's go back to the Beatles, the band of bands whose back and forth with Dylan was an essential part of the rock and roll story.
Look at how the album cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band reflects the Beatles' sense of humor and cultural ambition. The Beatles stand in the center of a landscape composed of figures ranging from Marilyn Monroe to Karl Marx, Carl Jung to Shirley Temple, and Laurel and Hardy to Dylan Thomas. Jesus was originally slated to appear in this collage, but was uh, removed after Lennon's suggestion earlier that year that the Beatles were more popular than their almost special guest. But on Sgt. Pepper's, like the Roman god Janus, the presence of the Beatles is two-faced. In one image, they smile in the brightly colored band uniforms of the Sgt. Pepper alter egos that they carry. And in another, their eyes are downcast and their skin is gray. The band looks somber, even dead. Whatever this dichotomy says about the Beatles' self-perception in 1967, their stance at the center of the universe models how rock and roll seeks out the images society cares about, gathers them up, and plops its own face right down there in the center of it all. A self-curated pantheon. And then it lets its iconoclastic spirit animate and define all that it has found. In other words, Sgt. Pepper's is Desolation Row revisited, rearranging faces and giving them all another name. The back door stepping outside, she is free. She, we gave her most of our lives. She's Leaving Home is perhaps the masterwork of Sgt. Pepper's. If the inherited world of symbols and meaning brought together by the Beatles on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's creates a two-faced ambivalence inducing either the gift of this life or the specter of its death, She's Leaving Home epitomizes the restlessness with home and family and country that gripped the Beatles' generation. The song's heroine's well-meaning parents are snugly asleep without a song during their daughter's dark night of the soul. Once Dylan opened up the gates for rock stars to ask big questions, asking big questions became obligatory upon rock stars. Well, George, he explored the spirit. Ringo was Ringo. And Paul played on and on, but it was John Lennon who demanded that those questions continue to be asked. Oh, if I can get my finger on the right note. Uh, go into Johnny starting it and then you can spread it, all right?
Well, on the one hand, John Lennon offered a utopian vision. Imagine, he sang, imagine there's no countries. Imagine all the people living for all the world. While Elvis was in the Nixon White House pitching a war on drugs stoned to the gills. And Lennon, Lennon found himself in bed with Yoko, preaching love and peace, and that the Vietnam War could be over if you want it. But in no particular order, just as Janice might present. Lenin also cast an angry, jealous vision of utopia, not about believing in the collapse of borders out of love and promise alone. It's also believing that all myths are lies and all lies are myths and there is no map. Lennon's song, God, from John Lennon Plastic Ono Band in 1970, concludes with a litany, or maybe a liturgy, of urgently vital mythic and cultural figures in which he does not believe, painting a soundscape not unlike the visual landscape of Sgt. Pepper's, but disrupted with even more mythic clout and punkish disdain. Buddha, Kings and Kennedy, Elvis and Dylan, and even the Beatles themselves are name-checked not to be followed or trusted. Lenin rejected them all. And all that's left behind to believe in is Yoko and me. A home. A home which is, in and of itself, a return to the domesticity was rejected and she's leaving home. was a true Greek tragedy or a biblical parable. 
the week that John Lennon returned with force to the pop arena with a new album entitled Double Fantasy in 1980, the two faces of life as a Beatle dating back to Sgt. Pepper's and before, still reflected in the title. Lennon was shot to death by a fan for whom a rock star's myth was so great that voices convinced him to kill the messenger. to live to ripe old age with Yoko only and I'm not afraid of dying I don't know how I'd feel at the moment but I'm prepared for death because I don't believe in it I think it's just getting out of one car and getting into another it was a dark day in Dallas November 63 a day that would live on in infamy President Kennedy was a right line Good day to be living and a good day to die He led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb He said, wait a minute, boys, you know who I am? Of course we do, we know who you are Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car Shot down like a dog in broad daylight Was a matter of timing and the timing was right You got unpaid debts We've come to collect We're gonna kill you with hatred Without any respect We'll mock you and shock you And we'll put it in your face We've already got someone here to take your place. A utopia? A fake? A landscape of discovery? A, a place to hide? A ghost ship still at sea carrying the ghosts of slavery? What is America? At the first peak of COVID-19 and in the shadows of the horrific murder by police officers of George Floyd in Dillon's home state of Minnesota... Dylan made his statement about the American epoch in Murder Most Foul. All of the elements we have heard and all of the songs we have played thus far resonate in Murder Most Foul. Because more than all else, Murder Most Foul is a song about music and musicians. These are the friends and fellow travelers, the only voices perhaps Dylan is willing to listen to, let alone allow to guide him. For American Pie, it was the violent death of three rock prodigies in a frozen North Dakota field that ended America as Don McLean knew it. Alluding to everyone from the Beatles and the Stones to Dylan and Hendrix and Janis Joplin, American Pie suggests that spiritual exile for singers and fans alike was inevitable after the Big Bang-like blow of that plane crash that took the lives of Richie Valens, the Big Bopper, and Buddy Holly. 
as American Pie reaches its conclusion, just before a slow tempo repetition of the final chorus lamenting the day the music died, McLean eulogizes the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. America died on a cross. But even Dylan, who said the same thing of his own music, or the inspiration of his own music, doesn't quite see things this way. In Blind Willie McTell, songs as beautiful as any ever known are still sung. Dylan witnesses them. In Roland John is owed to Lennon, more than three decades after Lennon's murder, Lennon does roll on. And in Murder Most Foul, everyone, from Charlie Parker to Stevie Nicks, they're still making beautiful music, whether they are living or dead. And this is the key to Dylan's remembered map of America. It's a musical key, and America is its music. That original sin travels from the Civil War to JFK and back again in Murder Most Foul. And all that's left are the voices. Don't all come look for America anymore, Dylan says. Don't look. Just listen. Now, this is a far from satisfying conclusion. Aren't maps supposed to tell us where we are and where we're supposed to go? Well, Dylan also said, don't follow leaders and watch the parking meters. In other words... Don't get stuck waiting around for someone else to tell you what to do. Our hearing of Murder Most Foul, which is a great American song in a terrible American moment, is that we need to hear our history of racism and violence in order to get real with ourselves. First, first we need to know how that feels. And more than all else, how it feels for the martyrs. How it feels for the ones who suffer American violence. The burden, Dylan is singing, is on the listener. But because Dylan, too, is a listener, even a fan in Murder Most Foul, even if he's the curator of this litany of American singers and song, he is also right there with us, listening. Listening just like you and just like me. The day the music died. Maybe it's just another way of proving that music never dies. And as long as music is heard, well, we've still got a chance. Tommy, can you hear me on the Acid Queen? I'm riding in a long black Lincoln limousine. Riding in the back seat next to my wife Heading straight on into the afterlife This has been episode 3 of Bob Dylan about man and God in law Next time we will be pressing on to episode 4 with a special appearance by the great Czech rocker Franz Kafka We'll also be appearing ourselves at a new and vibrant podcast home, Pantheon Podcasts, with whom we are delighted to join forces. Look for us on Pantheon or at mangodlaw.com, where you can find show notes, playlists, writing, and much more. We invite you to subscribe, to share, and support our work. And we thank our friend David Bellotti for the new logo, The Chester is in the mail, my friend. I'm Stephen Daniel Arnoff. Thanks for coming, and see you soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 